Daniel in the Lion's Den. Super familiar story, and the gold standard for telling it is still VeggieTales. So if you haven't seen the VeggieTales Daniel in the Lion's Den, it's still available on YouTube. You need to go and watch that. In fact, you can go now if you want to. But for those of you that stayed, so Daniel is a, a young guy from Judah. And we've moved on in the, the larger story. We've talked about the divided kingdoms, Israel in the north, which we've talked about the last couple of weeks with Elijah and Elisha. And Judah, the southern kingdom, uh, eventually gets carted away to Babylon, to the Babylonian captivity. And that's where Daniel kind of comes into play. So Daniel and a couple of his friends are, are part of the nobility from Judah and they get into the court at Babylon and they rise to high positions and the book of Daniel tells these stories. And the particular story of Daniel in the lion's den is just about Daniel himself as his other friends are doing something else. And King Darius decides that he needs to set up some administrators over all of the lands that he rules. So he picks 120 people to be governors. They're called satraps, but they're governors. And then over these governors, he picks three people who will oversee them just to make sure that they're doing their job and that the kingdom is being administrated efficiently. Well, among these three people, Daniel distinguishes himself so much by the way that he works and the person that he is that King Darius decides that he's going to put him over the entire land, that he'll be second only to the king. So this is great news for Daniel, but it creates a lot of jealousy among the other two administrators and the 120 governors or satraps. So they decide that they need to get Daniel out of the way. And so they get together and they try and think of ways that they could ensure Daniel's downfall. But the problem is they couldn't come up with anything. They basically said, Daniel is a person of integrity. He's a person of faithfulness. He's not corrupt. He's not negligent. He's pretty much the ideal governor. We're never gonna be able to come up with something that will stick against him. So are there any other options? And somebody pipes up and says, the only way that we can ensure his downfall is if it has something to do with his God. Because everybody knows that Daniel is very dedicated to his God. So they go to the king and they're like, hey king, we represent a lot of people, which is always a red flag because it means that people are lying when they tell you that. And we all think it's a really, really good idea if you pass a law. And the law should say that for the next 30 days, that no one is allowed to worship anyone. No other God, no other person. Everybody for the next 30 days has to focus solely on worshiping you. And King Darius thinks that this sounds like a great idea because why not have everyone worship you? And I'm sure they couch it like, you're the king, you're the only one who's worthy of worship and you need to make sure that everybody is focused on you and we think 30 days ought to do it. And so Darius says, okay, I, I think that's a great idea. And his advisors go, remember that according to the laws of the kingdom, once you do this, it can't be repealed. And so he's like, okay, but th this sounds good. And so then they go out and they let everybody know about this law that if you worship anybody except for King Darius in the next 30 days that you're going to be thrown into the lion's den. And the persons were incredibly creative when it comes to death. Google it, you'd be amazed. And so Daniel hears this 
And what does he do? Because he still is faithful to his God, and now he's in a crisis mode. And it says that he goes to his room, and he opens up his window, which faces towards Jerusalem, and he kneels down and he prays three times a day, as has been his custom. So Daniel basically just keeps doing what he's doing. And because he was set up, Daniel is at prayer when everybody knows he's going to be doing this because Daniel's made clear what his commitments and his loyalties are. They burst into the room and they find Daniel praying. And so they drag him back to King Darius and they're like, hey, you remember that law? And he's like, oh yeah, I totally remember that law. And they're like, well, Daniel ignored the law and he was worshiping his own God. And King Darius at this point is actually grief stricken because he loves Daniel and they remind him, well, unfortunately, King, you signed the law and the law can't be retracted. And so the scriptures are really clear. Darius feels terrible. And finally, he has to say okay to this, but he says to Daniel, I really hope that your God, the one that you continually serve, will protect you from the lion's den. And so they roll a rock over it and it's sealed and it says that Darius goes home and he's just depressed. And at first light, Darius and his advisors rush back and he's hoping against hope that maybe Daniel didn't get eaten by the lions, but lions being what they are, probably doesn't have much hope to this. Lo and behold, I, I picture him calling down going, Daniel, and the voice answers back. And so they haul him up out of there and King Darius is like, how did you not get eaten? And Daniel says, my God sent an angel and he closed the mouths of the lions and he protected me. And Darius is overjoyed that Daniel is alive and he realizes that he has been set up and that these people were jealous of Daniel. So he might have gone overboard a little bit because he takes all of the other people who conspired against Daniel, plus their wives and their children and everybody who ever knew them, and throws all of them into the lion's den. And it basically says before they hit the ground, the lions devoured them because they hadn't eaten that night. And then Darius sends out a decree to the whole land and says, everybody now is going to be required to worship Daniel's God because obviously he is the true God. So that's Daniel in the lion's den. So let's talk a little bit about Daniel, the book of Daniel, and the story itself. So first off, as we've been reading through the Old Testament in the stories, we know that there's various types of literary genre. There's history, there's prophecy, but there's also, in, in the New Testament, of course, there's gospels and epistles, but there's another small category called apocalyptic. And the most famous apocalyptic is Revelation. The other one is the book of Daniel. There are the two major apocalypses in the Bible. There's chapters here and chapters there that, that fit the bill, but they're an apocalypse. It's a separate type of literature. And it's important to note that apocalypse means unveiling or revelation, which is why we call it the book of Revelation. Apocalypse doesn't mean destruction. It doesn't mean annihilation. Now, in popular terms, it has come to mean that, but in the Bible, that's not what an apocalypse is. And that's an important distinction because these two books of apocalyptic literature, Daniel and Revelation, are aimed to encourage the people of God. They both are saying things may get bad. Things may, may be really terrible. You might experience persecution. You might be tempted to not be hopeful. But remember that God is faithful. And because God is faithful, 
we have a hope. So they're supposed to be books of encouragement to God's people. They were never designed to cause us to give up on mission or to lack hope or to be depressed or to go out and buy decoder rings and spend tons of time trying to figure out what every little thing means in the book. And it always makes me a bit nervous when people want to study the book of Revelation because there are so many bad books out there. They're meant to be books of encouragement. So the book of Daniel is an apocalypse. It's meant to be an encouragement to the people of God who are going through a difficult time. At this time, they're in captivity in Babylon. So the book of Daniel also kind of neatly divides into two. Chapters one through six are stories about Daniel and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his friends. And verses chapters seven through 12 are the visions of Daniel about the future. And then within the first six uh, chapters, there are these two parallel stories, the fiery furnace, which is where his friends are thrown, and Daniel in the lion's den. And both of these are stories about what it's like to live in a foreign land in captivity. They're both about remaining faithful to God. They're both about not bowing your knee, to, uh, your knee to other gods, not giving in to the pressures of the culture to worship other things, but remaining committed to God. And then they remind us how God will remain faithful to us. So it's an encouragement during difficult times like captivity that God has not left us. And the story really is about faithfulness. Now, here's the problem in our day and age. It might be harder to tell whether you're bowing your knee to the empire or foreign gods. Now, if we were to set up a tall statue in downtown Gig Harbor, and if the law was that at three times a day, everyone was supposed to turn towards downtown Gig Harbor and kneel and pray towards this statue, most of us would say no. But the gods of our culture are a little bit more subtle than that sometimes. We see the gods of the culture set up in the public square of social media instead. So it's not always easy to identify whether we've given ourselves over to worshiping the gods of the culture. Although, talk to any flight attendant who works the Vegas leg of a trip, and I guess it's not that hard to identify the people that have given themselves over to the gods of the culture. We've talked about some of these gods. There's the, gods, the god of youth, the god of money, the god of pleasure. I've mentioned all of those. But there are also other gods. I think of retirement and how you do it. I think that can be one of our culture's idols. Uh, to live for your retirement and miss living along the way, to miss the blessing of being generous, to miss the opportunity to share and make a difference, to think that you can guarantee the success of your golden years with the balance of your bank account, that can be an idol. When you take your financial advisor's advice before Jesus' advice, you might be worshiping at the wrong altar. The belief that, that more will make you happy, that's an altar a lot of people worship at. To think of how things will affect you and not anyone else, that's another idol. And Daniel refuses to bow down to any of these idols. The particular idol of the day was to bow down and worship the king, the head of the government, and Daniel won't do that. Now, worshiping the king, worshiping the head of the government, there's so many applications to our day, particularly during the election season. One of the most powerful sentiments I ever heard addressing this, though, came from Gary Walter, who used to be the president of the Covenant Church. And he said, we don't follow a donkey, we don't follow an elephant, we follow a lamb. 
Now, I'll, I'll say it again. I really don't care what your political beliefs are. I care that you arrive at them with biblical input and through prayer. And I care that you maintain a Jesus-honoring disposition towards people that disagree with you. But I'd invite you to use that very simple picture as an evaluation. Are you following a donkey? Are you following an elephant? Or are you following a lamb? So Daniel remains faithful to his God. He doesn't start following the gods of other cultures. So what does Daniel's faithfulness look like? Well, in verse 3 it says, Now Daniel so distinguished himself by his exceptional qualities. Well, what are his exceptional qualities? First, as I think about them, I don't think that the qualities themselves are exceptional. The qualities that they're going to mention are ordinary. They're the types of qualities that everybody should have. What makes them exceptional is that so few people actually do have them. These are, these are qualities that have to do with character, with how you do your job, with how you relate to people. And they'll be explained a little bit more later. It's just amazing to me that these basic things stand out to have character, how you treat other people, but they do to this day. You can and should stand out by the way you do your job and your character, and apparently that will make you exceptional. Verse 4, they tried to find grounds for charges against Daniel in his conduct of government affairs, but they were unable to do so. They could find no corruption in him because he was trustworthy and neither corrupt nor negligent. Daniel's integrity was unimpeachable. And corruption is mentioned twice. There isn't anything corrupt or negligent about him. Corruption is basically dishonesty, especially for personal or monetary gain. Negligence is when there was something you were supposed to do and you didn't do it and it caused harm. And Daniel isn't corrupt and he's not negligent because he's trustworthy. And that's stunning. The exceptional quality of being trustworthy. You would just think that people would be. The most interesting thing to me as I think about trustworthiness though is that mostly trustworthiness comes out in the little things. That's where it's really proved and it did with Daniel too. These are character traits that show up in relationships and in this case at work. So are you trustworthy at work? Are you trustworthy in your relationships? Does the way that you live your life cause people to believe that you're a person of integrity, unimpeachable integrity? Finally, verse 5, these men said, we will never find any basis for charges against this man Daniel unless it has something to do with the law of his God. So what did they finally land on? He was from a different faith. He wasn't like them. Here was something that they could exploit, that they could use. They knew about his faith. Daniel had let everybody know about it, and they knew that that was the only thing that they could exploit because they knew that he wouldn't worship somebody who wasn't God. In this case, appearances matter. Daniel had given the appearances that were in harmony with what he believed. I remember years ago, a friend of mine who worked for the Covenant was coming to visit the church. And you know, you fly out and you gotta rent a car. And so he rented a car and showed up in a Chevy something or other, I have no idea. And so I went out to say hi, and we were just laughing and joking, and he said, they tried to upgrade me to a Lincoln. And I'm like, why don't you take the Lincoln? He's like, are you kidding? Can you imagine if I pulled up to your church driving a Lincoln? Everybody would look at that and go, why are we giving so much money to them when they're all driving around in Lincolns? He's like, it wouldn't have cost any more, but the appearance would have been bad. And that guy really got it. 
And I wish more of us would understand that appearances can create problems for us. You might be doing a great job, but if it looks like you're always on a break, if it looks like you don't have anything else to do, if all you talk about is your fantasy football league, even if you're doing really well, the appearances matter. If you're a team leader or you're a boss, what you do and how you do it matters far more than what you say because appearances matter. It's one of the reasons why I don't have a personal parking spot. Because if I have, and some of my friends do, some people do, maybe you do at your work, but if you have the prime parking place up front that says, Pastor Michael parks here, it appears that I think I'm better than you. Now, one time I did have my own parking place. It was out on the, grav the gravel lot, and then eventually it fell apart. Now I park down by the trash, and you're welcome to join me down there. And I can give so many examples on how people get sabotaged because they don't realize that appearances matter, but they would step on all kinds of toes. The way that Daniel lived his life, the appearances that he made were that he was faithful to God. And why does Daniel remain faithful even in the face of difficulty? Is it because he's brainwashed? Is it because he doesn't have any friends and he turned to religion instead? Is it because he's taken the opiate of the masses? Is it because he's not a deep thinker? No, I think it's because he's found God to be real and found being in relationship with God to be satisfying. And so he dedicates his life to following God. And remember how I talked about a week or so ago that our, our beginning of a relationship with God is always transactional. We do need to get to the point where we love God just because of who he is, but we learn to love God because of the joy and the peace and the forgiveness that we find in him. So Daniel has already found, like many of us have found, that all of these other gods end up being meaningless. And if you strip a lot of these other things down to their essential elements, praying to the king is ridiculous. This also helps Daniel keep the main thing the main thing. I mean, look at Daniel's response. He just keeps quietly doing what he knows is right. He knows what the law is, and he doesn't go down and protest in the public square. He just goes and does what he always does. He opens up his window, he gets down on his knees, and he prays as he always does. Now, will there be times that we need to demonstrate against the government or participate in civil disobedience? Maybe. And some of you who grew up in the 60s knew that that was a time, and you did it. But that's not our first role. Certainly, we need to do that sometimes. Our first role, though, is always to remain personally faithful to God. And that's part of the problem with misunderstanding apocalyptic literature. It's supposed to encourage us to keep on keeping on. In the face of whatever challenges, to keep being faithful to God, to keep being on mission, to keep loving and serving in Jesus' name, to keep sharing the hope that we have within us. I mean, it's tempting to spend more time trying to decipher the message or to give up because it's all going to burn. But that's a misunderstanding of what these books are for. Daniel stayed faithful to God despite the law, despite working for the government that had very different values. He didn't quit and go home. He didn't complain about his rights being taken away. He just faithfully kept the main thing, the main thing. I had a really interesting interaction on social media the other day. I was talking about some phrases that I love, like, 
in my opinion, or I might be wrong, or things like that. And one of my friends whom I love dearly, who is, has a slightly different perspective than I do, one of the phrases that he said is, sometimes don't we just need to say, you don't know what you're talking about, shut up. And he's like, we're not called to dance around the truth, we're called to boldly proclaim the truth. We're supposed to get out there and say what's right and what's wrong. And I thought, I'm not so sure about that because I know you well enough to know that the truth that you think that you're proclaiming really has more to do with your own opinion than it has to do with what God said. Because God's truth is that he wants everyone to be saved. God's truth is that he so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believed on him would be saved. God's truth is that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world should be saved through him. If our truth sounds more like condemnation, it might not be God's truth. Just something to chew on. Daniel kept living with integrity and he kept faithful to God, even in the midst of potential persecution. And Daniel's behavior showed the reality of his God. Part of keeping the main thing the main thing is being on mission. And Daniel kept doing what God had called him to do. We're on mission. You are in the place that you are in because God put you there for a reason, to be on mission. I firmly believe that. Daniel does what he knows is right, even as an insider. And so he comes before the king, and in verse 16, the king gave the order, and they brought Daniel, and they threw him into the lion's den. The king said to Daniel, may your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then he says the same thing again, down in verse 20. May your God, whom you serve continually, rescue you. And then after the, uh, the night, in verse 25, then King Darius wrote to all the nations and peoples of every language in the earth, May you prosper greatly. I issue a decree that in every part of my kingdom, people must fear and reverence the God of Daniel, for he is the living God, and he endures forever. His kingdom will not be destroyed. His dominion will never end. He rescues and he saves. He performs signs and wonders in the heavens and on the earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. Daniel's faithfulness changed the world. Daniel's faithfulness to God helped prove to the king, to the other powers that be, that all of the other gods were false, that only Daniel's God was real. That was the byproduct. That was why God had him there of Daniel being faithful and keeping the main thing the main thing and just doing what he knew was right. I don't think that we can miss the lesson in the book of Daniel that, and the lesson of the apocalypse is that bad stuff happens. Life is not fair. It rains on the just and on the unjust. And that shouldn't surprise us because everything is broken. Daniel is just quietly doing what he needs to do. And a bunch of people turn on him and a trap gets set for him. But God is still at work and that gives him hope. And that's the real message of the book. And that's the takeaway for us, no matter what we face that our faithfulness to God and God's faithfulness to us will bring us hope. Now, Daniel was super clear on his relationship to God. And if, as I've said before, it's the first task of leadership to define reality, 
Let's pause here for a moment on being clear on our relationship to God. Because I'd love for all of us to define the reality of our relationship to Jesus. So think for a minute. We know for Daniel that Daniel was a, a true follower of God. Where would you place yourself on the continuum between non-belief and total discipleship? And, and be honest, I'm not going to ask you to tell anybody else. And, and once you place yourself on that continuum where you think that you need to be, what sign would you point to to demonstrate that reality? I mean, you, maybe you'll say, my faith is super important to me. Well, that's great. But tell me three ways someone on the outside looking in could discern that. Because Daniel had a place on the continuum and everybody knew where he was because his life was in harmony with what his principles were. Everybody saw that he was a person of integrity. Everybody could believe in his God because they saw the reality of it. So where would you be on the spectrum of the continuum? from non-believer to a totally devoted discipleship of Jesus. And what are ways that people could discern that? And when you name that spot, is that where you want to be? I think that reality will help change everything for us. So these are stories of origin. What do we learn about us? What do we learn about God from this story? We learn that God is faithful. We learn that we have hope no matter how difficult things get. We learn that character matters. And we know that sometimes bad things happen, but God never abandons us, even in the lion's den. So let me ask you three questions. What would the people you work with say about your character? Number two, how does knowing that we have hope in God change your outlook on life? And number three, what is one thing you can do to grow in integrity this week?